So today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 19, finishing out the chapter. Uh, so we're going to, I mean, we're going to jump right into it and just read through uh, the entire passage and then begin to break this down. So starting in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, and what I would say is kind of the summary, the answering of their questions. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad with his, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For the time for judgment to begin at the household of God, uh, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Like I said, there are great and encouraging words in there, and the message is one of encouragement, but there are also some words that are a little bit more of a, a, a reality check, a little bit more of a, a, a smack you around. You need to wake up. You need to uh, almost, you need to stop whining. Uh, and we've seen that throughout First Peter, where instead of giving them pleasantries, he'll give them tough love. Uh, I didn't even think to include it here uh, on anything, but uh, in Proverbs it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It is those harsh words that truly carry us through trials and troubles that help us to grow and understand what's going on. It's a parent uh, correcting their child so that their child grows up into something more than what they were. But let's start to break this down. And one thing I want to hit right off the bat is uh, verse 7 where it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. Is he's telling them that this is the end times, guys? No. Uh, in the New Testament, 
the phrase, the end of all things, or the end is near, or uh, the last days, or these last days, is always used of the time after Jesus has come the first time and before his second coming. Uh, they're referring to the last phase of things. There were all these different events leading up to the birth of Jesus. Now that he's come once, we're looking forward to the second coming, when everything is finally put right. Uh, it's not saying this is an imminent thing in the sense that it's about to happen any day, but it is the next thing, the last stage of God's redemption is about to be revealed. It is the end stage, the end game. Uh, in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, we see a, another bit of an example of this. Uh, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Again, it's the coming of Jesus that starts the, the uh, last days. Uh, yes, there is an end times, there's an end event, there's a specific thing, but let's not confuse those two things when they're speaking. But now let's actually get into the, the, the meat. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get into the meat of what is being talked about in these passages. So we're going to look at verses uh, uh, 7 through 11 and break those down a little bit more. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, because we're in that stage, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Again, he's starting off responding to their questions. Nero is here. What do we do about this madman? What do we do about this man that is, is killing us? What do we do about the persecution that we're facing in this world? Uh, how do we respond, Peter? How do we react to this, Peter? And again, as he's done several times, he reminds them, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He focuses on their actions, their living, their right living. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Both of those, he's linking it to God. God is the one who provides. God is the one who's ultimately empowering these gifts. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The reason we be self-controlled, sober-minded, the reason we keep loving one another earnestly, we show hospitality to one another without grumbling, uh, we use the gifts that we've been given to serve one another, is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's all about his glory. It's all about him. And if we are serving him, it's going to be of benefit to us. And if we're serving him, it's going to display to the world who he is. It's only by focusing on him that the church accomplishes the work that the church was designed to do. Uh, 
keep loving one another earnestly. We see over and over commands for the body of Christ to love, to love as Christ's love, uh, to have this brotherly love. It is the marker by which those outside can look at the church and go, those are the disciples of Christ. Uh, Peter's made this abundantly clear that it's the way we carry ourselves and display ourselves that uh, will have an impact. The way we behave matters. The way we behave in the church matters. Who wants to come to a church where they don't love each other? Why would you come to that? Why would you care about that? Why would you want to be involved with that? Why would you want to be involved with a place that doesn't practice what they preach in their own house? And obviously, we're going to address that a little bit later in this passage because he talks about that. But it's a reminder, specifically in tough times, that we need to stick together, that we need to care for one another, that we need to not start thinking about ourselves because something's going wrong, but we need to think about our family. And our family is the body, the body of Christ. It is the church. And let's continue on looking at uh, Proverbs 11.31, both commenting on what we just read, but also leaking into what we're about to read. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? We're called to do good, to use the gifts that Christ has given us to glorify him. And we'll be repaid for that, not in some sort of uh, uh, beneficial way. We, you know, we get more because we do this. Uh, but we'll see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We'll see the things of true benefit. We'll have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding despite the circumstances we see. But what about those who are outside of Christ? If he's going to repay us for what we're doing, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Let's continue on. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of, God, of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Oh, this is so rich and this is so good. But it starts off with a, a verse that can be, if you pay attention to what it's saying, you pay attention to the weight 
of it. You really think about uh, uh, the message that's being conveyed, again, to people that are facing persecution under Nero, that are, I've said this multiple times, asking questions about, am I going to be the next person hung on a cross and lit on fire to light the way to Rome? And he tells them, do not be surprised at the what? The fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Guys, this is something that you will face because you have identified yourself with Christ. Do not be surprised at this as though it was something strange, as something that, that Christ didn't make abundantly clear that you would face, that you would face trials. It's a hard statement if you're not prepared for it, but if you are prepared for it, it is glory. Because we continue on and we rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's reminding us that if we face sufferings for Christ, if we face sufferings for aligning ourselves with Christ, then this was something that was promised to you. This is something that we should expect. And it's a, an assurance, if you will. It's a, a sign that you are his, that he is with you, that he's protecting you through these things that he promised you, you would see. And you bring glory to God when you face these things. But how do you face these things? You face these things, as Peter's already made clear over and over, you're self-controlled, sober-minded. You're loving each other earnestly. Uh, you're showing hospitality without grumbling. And again, throughout the whole book, he's been hitting these highlights of how we should be living. And he's made it, he's hit the highlights of uh, when you suffer unjustly. Uh, he's making it clear that living righteously, suffering for that, sends a message to those who are persecuting you. And not all of them will get it. Not all of them will change. Not all of them will come to Christ. But it will be a powerful witness to those who see it. And then he, after he sets all that up, he comes to reminding us that not to be surprised when this happens, but rejoice because we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. And not only that, as he's already made clear, it's gonna produce fruit. That you wanna know the most powerful witness the church has? As it's been put one way, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. It's our faithfulness no matter what, in all circumstances, even to the end, that displays Christ. Displays Christ as something immutable, something that cannot be taken away from us, something that is so worth it, worth it more than anything else, that we would never reject him. And one little thing 
before we continue on. Well, also there's a reminder. Do not, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Again, righteous, right living, following the commands of God is so important to this. But what I want to highlight is, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The name Christian isn't something that we applied to ourselves. It was originally used as an insult, uh, as a derogatory term. And I mean, it literally means little Christ. Uh, that's its literal uh, translation, its literal, literal definition. Uh, but anyone, I, I, I can guarantee you've heard something like this. I'm not a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Or anything else along those lines. They're trying to distance ourselves from the word Christian. Now first, little Christ, it means someone who is trying to be like Christ. Or a Christ follower. So those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. But beyond that, the Bible itself makes it clear. It only took a couple decades before the, the term Christian was so universally applied, at least throughout the entire region of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that he's using it here. And he's saying, if any of you suffer as a Christian, and that is the word he uses there, let him not be ashamed. Yeah, there are, the world has a lot of negative connotations to Christian. They have a lot of negative connotations to church. They have a lot of negative connotations to everything in regards to our faith. The Bible makes it clear that that's, that's how it's going to be. But that doesn't mean we just start abandoning things because, oh, the world doesn't like the sound of that. I'm sorry, but what he makes clear here is you glorify Christ in that. But let him glorify God in that name. So don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed when someone tries to revile you because you hold a certain faith. Glorify God. Give glory to him. Knowing that he is at work, not that other person. That's not the person that you need to worry about. But back to the idea of suffering, suffering for Christ. What does Jesus himself say about this? Matthew 5.11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for me. Blessed are you when they come against you because you bear my name, because you represent me, because you follow me. Now again, even there, he makes it clear when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But we have that assurance that we are blessed when others revile us, when they persecute us, when they come against us for Christ's name. Not for the sins we've committed. If they come against us, if you're put on trial for uh, stealing something, you're not glorifying Christ in that. You're not uh, uh, able to stand up and, and righteously uh, say that you're suffering for the name of Christ. No, you're suffering as a thief. You're being persecuted legitimately. It's when they come against you for the good that you've done in the name of Christ, for representing him, for showing the love that he commanded us to share. And unfortunately, when it comes down to it, the world doesn't want that love. Those who are outside of Christ find it offensive that we might say something like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that we're in need of a savior. We're in need of submitting our lives to Christ. First Peter four, seventeen through nineteen. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Well, doing good. Again, it always includes that, by the way, guys, it's the suffering for doing good that matters. It's the suffering for the name of Christ. But I want to remind you of Proverbs 11.31 because it's coming up again. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Peter's getting at two things here. The first is that the time of judgment, for it is time, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That judgment starts here, within these walls, with us. Am I talking about the, the eternal judgment? No. What we're talking about is uh, what he's been going over over and over and over again. Now that we are Christ's, there is an expectation of us. Now that we know him, we are of him, we have an expectation. And he's been sprinkling that through over and over again about how we are to live, how we are to love, how we are to walk, how we are to relate to one another. He's telling us this beforehand, that we need to clean up our act in here, in these walls, before we can do what? Before we can look to those outside, and that's where he goes. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, 
connecting it to that idea, connecting it to the idea of uh, judgment starting in the household of God. What will become of those who do not obey the gospel? What will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Again, he's connecting the idea of our witness to those who are outside the church. The primary example we can display is our good, us doing good, us living right, us living according to the commands of Christ, us loving one another, caring for one another, living out the love of Christ, being willing to give up for one another, serving one another faithfully with the gifts that we've been given, showing the world showing those who are not obedient to the gospel of God, showing those who are ungodly and sinners that there is a different way. And that is why we face suffering. That is why we have to face it according to God's will. That's why we have to face it rightly. That's why we have to go through, I mean, again, I pointed this out over and over again. What we have right now is nothing compared to what the people that were addressing Peter were facing. But we have to go through this time where there's all sorts of different confusions, where we can see very clearly how uh, uh, distraught the world is, how much fear there is, how much instability, how much lack of peace, how much confusion that they're facing. We need to go through these times, starting by cleaning inside our house starting by getting our act together in here so we can display to them what the peace of God looks like, what that stability, what that hope that he offers looks like. Again, who wants to come to a church that is just like the world, that is just as afraid, that is just as confused, that is asking the same questions? Because the God they're offering It's like a foundation of sand. And your house is going to wash away. We need to give them the rock, the cornerstone, the solid foundation that is Christ, and that only comes in these troubled times by us living out what Christ has commanded. And God takes this idea of starting in his own house very seriously. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. We're going to look at, 
I mean, the most direct commentary on this idea. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, when corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Again, it goes back to that idea that Peter said in chapter 1, that the tested genuineness of your faith may be displayed. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and who uh, respected and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. He's building us up in that correction. It's not to tear down. He's not in the business of ripping down his followers. He's not in the business of ripping down his church. No, he's in the business of building it up. But guess what? If you want to build up your children, you need to correct them. If you want your children to grow up healthy, then you're going to get, need to make them understand what is good to eat and what is bad to eat. What is a treat and what is healthy. And anyone that's had kids, I think we can all understand that that is very difficult. That is very, very difficult uh, to get them to understand or to appreciate the healthy food. Guess what? We're no different. We've just changed our, where our stubbornness lies. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's been a theme given, well, there's been several themes given over and over in what we've been going into in 1 Peter. But that is one of the themes, is the fruit that is produced by our righteous living by us pursuing uh, uh, pursuing God's holiness by pursuing righteousness, good truth uh, that it produces fruit that if we want to go through these times of trial and trouble and difficulty, that if we want to not be surprised by the fiery trial, when it comes upon, upon us to test us. That if we want to rejoice in what we're going through, that requires something we talked about at the very, very beginning. And it's why we looked at the life of Peter a little bit, a reminder of who the man was, 
a man that was so very good at falling flat on his face, making a complete fool of himself, to the point where he would, uh, to God's face, challenge him on what he just said. Tell him, no, 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 no. You're not, we're not going to let you suffer and die. We're not going to do that. We won't let that happen. He learned humility. He learned it through, through the sort of experiences that we'll never go through. And he's sharing that here with people who are going through trials. That if you want to go through the fiery trial, if you want to go through the times of difficulty, if you want to go through the times of persecution, whatever it is, whatever we face, you have to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. You have to rest in who he is, what he did, the work he did. You have to be humble before him. Humble and submit yourself to him. And he will take care of you. And though he's been continuously showing these uh, Christians and ultimately showing us a little bit of tough love, as he's gone through uh, explaining to us how to actually face trials. And though instead of focusing on some sort of flowery light at the end of the tunnel message, he's been giving us the weighty reality of what it means to walk through the trial. Next week, we're gonna go into chapter five. Because even though he's given us the, the climactic moment of finally basically straight out addressing their question by saying, don't be surprised when this happens. There's chapter five. And we get the truly straightforwardly encouraging words. And it contains truly one of my favorite sections of the Bible. But we have to understand, like in all things, we have to understand the difficulties, the trials, the bad news, before we can understand the good of the good news. Before we can understand the comforting encouragement we have to have the encouragement that is the endurance. Because that's what he's giving you. He's giving you a message of enduring, of going through this. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, but guess what? Christ is bigger than this. Christ is enough for you. That your position in him is secure. And that you need to clean up your own act. You need to get your things together. You need to uh, do this for good reasons, because it will show the outside, it will show the world who Christ is, and they will see that. And I'm not saying don't preach the gospel, just show your actions and that'll be enough. No, we still need to preach the gospel. We need, still need to use our words to declare who Christ is, 
But our words mean nothing if we don't have the actions to back it up, if we're not displaying what it means to be a Christian, what do our descriptions of what it means, why do they matter? Why do they matter? If we tell someone that, that uh, they can have peace and stability in the trials that they're facing, if we're unstable and freaking out at every, uh, every twist and turn that we're seeing, why does it matter that we say there can be salvation from sin if we're still wallowing in our sins? What does it mean that you can be a part of uh, the body of Christ, a part of this, this church family that you can have uh, uh, many times over brothers and sisters in Christ if we're not caring for one another, if we don't love one another, if the church isn't displaying that love within its, in its walls. So this week is a week of reminders, a reminders of where we've been in this journey and the culmination of that in bringing it to, to uh, a head of, look, this is all to strengthen you. Do not be surprised when this comes upon you. And next week, again, we get to jump into chapter five, where now that he's given us that tough love, now that he's called us to endure, he's going to give us the comfort. And man, I just want to jump straight into that because it's so good. Uh, although there will be a slight detour where suddenly he talks about uh, he talks about elders in the church. Which is an interesting thing to talk about and how he slots that in between the tough love, endure encouragement, and the uh, comforting uh, encouragement that suddenly he talks about elders. Uh, there's a very good reason for that. There's a very good reason that he addresses uh, the roles of pastors in the middle of this. But for now, we need to think about this, uh, this message. We need to think about this, this idea of not being surprised at the fiery trial. We need to think about this, this message of what does it really mean? What does it really mean in our day-to-day -day lives to live for Christ? What does it mean to display his love? What does it mean, oh, I should have made a whole list of every command given in First Peter, uh, you know, things being, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Should have made a whole list of all the ones that he gave through First Peter. That would have been fun to go through. So that's your challenge this week, is to go back through 1 Peter, to read it again. Now, I don't care if you don't do that all this week. I'm saying go back through it over time. Reread this. In fact, read it multiple times. Because the whole goal of this sermon series has to, been to give you uh, uh, a better understanding of the foundational ideas of this book so that you can go through it and you can get more and more and more out of it.
It's not the end, it's the beginning of the journey into this because it's so good. But pay attention to those things when they come up. Pay attention, now that you know uh, where he's taking it, notice the road he's uh, laying on the way, the road calling us to uh, uh, to clean up our own act, calling us to trust in the sufficiency of Christ, calling us to do things like submit to the government. And at the time, it was Nero. And why is he calling us to do that? Because he explains that. Why does he call uh, uh, slaves to submit to their masters? Because slavery is good? No. He gives a reason. And then he moves on to marriage and talking about marriage. And in all things, he links it back to God. And you'll notice that theme over and over, bringing it back to God and our actions, what we do in all these different circumstances, even if they're not right, even if we're suffering, even if they're unjust. We endure them for the sake of God, to point people to him. It's kind of funny when you think about it, in the end, this whole book becomes a message about how do you actually evangelize to the world. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of steps to get there. Because it starts with you. And it starts with you putting the focus on God. So again, that's the call this week, is to remember all those things we've gone over. To go back and reread them. To start to think about in your life, in this church, what does it mean to live these things out? What does it mean to have this endurance? What does it mean to live with that focus on God, not on ourselves, not on others, but on God? Then we glorify Him in our trials and sufferings. But guess what? He's with us in those trials and sufferings. And I hope as we've been going through this, that you've got that message because Peter's making that very clear over and over again. And again, next week, we're gonna go into some very fun and encouraging words. Uh, a chapter that I've memorized more than once in my lifetime and then forgot and then had to go re-memorize it. Uh, but it's so worth it. So again, the challenge I leave you with is to go back and reread 1 Peter. We're not done with it yet. We're going to finish it up. And that's going to be the challenge even when we're done, is to go back and reread it. But now that we've kind of hit that, that climax of him addressing specifically the, the, the question of what do we do in the face of trials, start that process. Start that process of looking into it and getting the deeper truth of it. That's the encouragement that I, I leave you with, is the, the culmination, the bundle of all the encouragements that we've got from this as a gift to you. It's accessible, it's right there. Go read it again and be encouraged. Now let's close off this time with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, holy, righteous, wonderful God, Lord, Again, you've been so good to your church. You've been so good to your people. 
And God, though there are so many things going on right now, so many questions that we can ask, Lord, help us to see the opportunity that we have as a church, the opportunity we have to shake off the dust of the past, shake off the dust of our old self, the dust of of the sins that we may have struggled with in life, to lay them aside, to live for you, to show this world that's asking questions about life and health and uh, stability, that's scared and confused, that's looking to every source to try and find answers, that we may display you. That we may go through these times with a persevering and enduring spirit that makes others look at us and go, I don't like their beliefs. I don't like this Christianity thing. But there's something different about them. And I want to know what it is. Lord God, help us to be those kind of people. Help us to be faithful to you because you've been so good to us. Lord God, give everything over to you because we know that we can trust you, that you will take care of us. Lord God, we lay everything at your feet in the name of your Holy Son, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.